Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? You guys ready for some uh, roommate talk? Oh, Roommates, yes. one of those things. Having roommates is one of those things that sounds better than it actually turns out. It's, it's almost it's always sketch. a shit show. It's sketch, man. It's it's like it's no different than like a Craigslist deal, but you have to stay with this person. Yeah. You know? It's, it's like a quick way to make you hate your friends. <laughs> yeah. God forbid you do. Uh, you you have to put a Craigslist out ad out and get some person that you have no idea anything about them or what they're lying to you about with yeah. their personality or their background and they're living in your home. That's what I was gonna say. It's it's bad enough when you know the person from the start, but when you don't even yeah. know the person and you don't know what you're getting into. But yeah. there are, there are plenty of success stories of people you know not knowing their roommate, whatever, moving in together, and you know it ends up being better because they have a mutual respect for each other because they're not friends first, right? Nobody's trying to take advantage of the other one. Mm-hmm. But of course, this is uh, not what we talk about here on True Crime, guys. We no. uh, this is going to be a horror story. We're talking about the worst roommate ever. Exactly. And exactly. really, the worst roommate ever turns out to be a guy cut from the same cloth as Robert Durst and John DuPont. This is what this guy reminded me of. Just Makes perfect yet again, sense. it's like there's a there is a perfect concoction, like st- perfect storm of elements that create this type of sociopath, like yeah. a very um, affluent upbringing, uh-huh. spoiled, but then they get outshined by their family members. And yep. it's, I'm telling you, it's like, it, to a T, this is this guy was a sociopath just like those two, DuPont. No doubt. And Jink and Robert Durst. Like yeah. it, it's funny. They, it was, it's like ultimately they, and they ultimately they lash out and almost always end up killing someone close to them, right? Right. Is what ultimately happens. Right. Because they don't they don't measure up, you know, to mm-hmm. to whatever. And now to come into the defense of uh Jameson Bachman, who we're gonna talk about today, his family was pretty rough on him. Uh, as far as they let him know that he was a disappointment, right? Maybe that's not the smartest thing to do if you're the family member and you have a disappointing member. Maybe not rub it in their face, um, you know, through adulthood. You know, I don't yeah. think that helps the situation whatsoever. I don't know that, how much of that was even real, though. I mean, uh, you I mean he, we know he was a liar. I mean, it, that's so, true. It may that's not true. even been the case. I mean, his brother bailed him out of jail multiple times for stupid shit. You know, I know, I know. Tried to come to his defense, but yeah. But we know how that let's turned out. Let's not get to, yeah, we know how that turned out. So let's let's not get he- too heavily into it. Let's let's dive into this case, the worst roommate ever, and we'll talk about our sources and everything on the other side. Let's do it, man. Hi, my name is Jed Creek, and I've hit a bit of a bad streak. I need to move back to Philadelphia. Hi, my name is Jed Creek, and I've hit a bit of a bad streak. Can I please move back to Philadelphia? I promise it's just me and my dog and I Won't be any trouble at all and I Just really need to move in tonight I promise it's just me and my dog and I Won't be any trouble at all and I Just really need to move in tonight Got your whole life in front of you You're pretty, you got this house Well you don't have this house anymore This house, my house, I see you in court Got your whole life in front of you You're pretty, you got this house Well, you don't have this house anymore This house, my house, I'll see you in court Well, that's that, here's the first month's rent But the last you're gonna get I also got a cat, so I can be sure to clog your drains with its shit I'm sorry, what? I said I'm a fucking squatter, babe And I came to sit I'm a fucking squatter, babe (laughs) And I came to sit Sit Got your whole life in front of you You're pretty, you got this house 
When you don't have this house anymore This house, my house, I see you anymore Got your whole life in front of you You're pretty, you got this house Well, you don't have this house anymore This house, my house, I'll see you in court Got your whole life in front of you You're pretty, you got this house Well, you don't have this house anymore This house, my house, I'll see you in court All right, our episode this week was suggested by a listener on Instagram. I want to say thank you to Kelshira Kawa. Not sure if that's... uh, pronounced correctly but uh, that's your Instagram pretty thank good. you for pretty the good. suggestion on this case she wrote a long message about how we have to check out this two-part uh, episode of a series called worst roommate ever on Netflix yes and it's a two-part episode named roommate wanted and so we checked that out it was compelling and then also there was a, uh, an article written in 2018 from William Brennan of the New Yorker which I believe the Netflix series spawned off to make this this two-part episode because that article was really well done the author yes. talked to several of the former roommates of this creep and got their takes and then the netflix series went out and got those former roommates and interviewed them and that was very interesting absolutely great very storytellers theatrical. what are what are the yeah, chances that every roommate was a great storyteller i was like wow this right. is captivating this is absolutely yeah. captivating maybe that i mean there was several more roommates that they didn't interview maybe those people just weren't as good on camera don't worry about those we got the three major yeah, ones because the main girl alex miller who we're going to start this story with she was very compelling on screen and very theatrical dramatic she should almost be a play actor like she's so oh i know so good at, at displaying emotion so good yeah at, yeah she was i granted, mean but this was a very traumatic thing she went through I, so yeah i was about I mean, to it say comes natural when you go through some shit like this and she just got done with this in 2017, right? 2017, 2018, getting yeah, done with this fresh. whole debacle. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty easy to recall those those feelings, those emotions. Wasn't that mm-hmm. long ago? And it could happen to anybody. That's what's so terrifying about these cases. Well, anybody that uh, looks for roommates on Craigslist. I, that's I right. Do, but I yeah. do warn you of that, <laughs> of that yeah. thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Each of these people did start with a Craigslist ad. So take it yeah. for what it is. And also, depending on the city you're in and the squatter laws that they have, like Philadelphia being uh, one of the ones that uh, gives more rights to a person who mm-hmm. gets tenancy in your property, uh, yeah. it doesn't take much. Basically, all they have to do is get mail sent to your property, and all of a sudden, they are like locked in. <laughs> like They can't Boom. be booted. Bro, so. it, you'd be surprised. I mean, you guys, if you are looking for roommates, it really is worth looking into these these squatter laws in your area because you'd be surprised at how lenient they are. I remember I was learning about squatter laws in Vegas and it's insane, dude, like how people can just set up shop. And like you say, if they just get a piece of mail sent there and then all of a sudden they're a resident, whether they've mm-hmm. paid any rent, whether they've signed a lease, um, you know, whether they have any utilities in their name, all of that's irrelevant. Yep. That's, that's terrifying, dude. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk more about this as we go through this episode. So. Let's start it out in March of 2017 with 31-year-old Alex Miller of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She was struggling during this time. She was dealing with the sudden departure of a roommate. So she depended on a roommate for her apartment that she had because her apartment was in a really nice area of Philadelphia. She Mm -hmm. loved this apartment, loved the area, did not want to go anywhere. So she needed someone to fill that void of that roommate that left. And her mom was up her ass because she was depending on her mom to cover part of the rent money until she could find a new roommate and her mom was uh she was was she was in this she was in this two-part series and yeah she's a tough cookie man she ends up playing a big role in this case because she's such a tough nut to crack here (laughs) indeed 
And so, yeah, so she's got her mom up her ass. She's trying to find a new roommate and her bank account was barely kept afloat by part-time work at a juice bar and at a nearby law firm filing paperwork, which also plays into this and helps her out a little bit because mm -hmm. she needs some help from lawyers throughout this thing. Yep. Her mom had been forking over money, as we mentioned, to help her get by while she looked for a roommate. And her ad that she put up on Craigslist had been there for about two weeks when she got the call she'd been waiting for. She receives a voicemail from a man in March of 2017 that identified himself as Jed Creek. He called and left a voicemail at about 9 p.m. And if that name sounds phony to you, it's because it is. Jed Creek, <laughs> doesn't that just sound fake? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. Um, well, it sounds Jed like Creek. a creek in Arkansas or some shit. That's because it is. Remember, the mom looks it up and she's like, all I could find was actual fucking little towns yeah. <laughs> in middle America or whatever. Right. If you can't find nothing with somebody's name, that is without a doubt a red flag. If you can't yeah. find a person with in that today's name. today's day and age. Yeah. yeah, that's a red flag. So Jed Creek was allegedly a lawyer from New York City, and he had grown up just outside Philadelphia, only a few minutes drive from Alex's apartment in the, tough, or in the city's high-end neighborhood of Chestnut Hill. So this Jed Creek had grown up down the road from this apartment, um, had gone off to college and become a lawyer and whatnot, and now was coming back, I think, to like maybe try and start a practice, supposedly, or whatever, in the town that he grew up in. Okay. And he also had a, an online business, tutoring. So he explained that he needed a place to stay, stay while he tended to family matters. He was apparently going through a hard time as well. His mother he said was old and frail and his older brother was suffering from complications with hepatitis C. I've also heard that his older brother needed legal help and he was there to help his, his brother. So it sounds like the stories were all over the place, which is the more oh, we yeah. get to know this guy. Whatever sob story likely. he had to deliver. It was always something we'll come to find out. It was his house was torn down by a hurricane or whatever story he had to make up. Right. Um, and so during their initial phone call, he said, I find Philadelphians to be very, very difficult, a lot of flaky people. And she responded with, I'm not flaky, so you're good, off to a good start. <laughs> and after their phone conversation, Alex did a little bit of digging. Uh, she checked out his website, Socrates and Plato, where he offered tutoring services. Um, mm -hmm. And on that website, he had a biography and everything seemed to check out. All of his degrees were listed on there, pictures of him, tutoring people and whatnot. Right. He was a tall, slim, and handsome man with jet black hair. And though he was 60, he looked to be in his late 40s. So oh, wow. He was 60? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, there's only a few grainy photos of this guy also. I know. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's true. The, docu the, the two-part uh, series on Netflix, they basically just recycle the same four yeah. pictures and just zoom in on them over yeah. and over again. You're like, all right, I've seen this picture already. I know, like a hundred times. It's shit. It's like the Bigfoot photo, I, you know? I guess that's all they had of them. Yeah. And, you know, I guess if he... A blurry photo and then you got you a can of Just for Men's, I guess you could look like you're in your 40s, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But she's thinking she hit the jackpot, you know? You get a, a, an established man, a lawyer... Um, good-looking guy, accomplished, and yeah. he sounds very cordial on the phone and everything. He was very good at sucking people in. He mm -hmm. knew how to manipulate. Too good to be true. And so, yeah, usually if it seems too good to be true, it is. <laughs> so when he came to visit the apartment, he brought his dog. A third. Well, actually, they met up. According to Alex in the interview yeah. on the on the TV show, they met up first at a park, right? Like went to a coffee shop, then they then mm -hmm. he went and got his dog so they could go to a park and let the dogs play so that they could figure out whether the dogs were even going to get along because if they weren't, then it was never going to work. Exactly. The dogs hit it off like best buds. They were playing. They went then went back from the park to Alex's apartment, which she hadn't told him where her apartment was very wisely. 
right. until she had met him and got the dogs to meet and everything else. Then they walk from the park back to her apartment. The dogs lay down together. They start sleeping and she's like, wow, this is great. And mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, he had a 13 year old border collie mix named Zachary. Um, and she had an older black lab named Cosimo. So those dogs are hanging out They're at the apartment and he's this, you know, gentleman, very nice. They headed off. Um, mm -hmm. and at the end of the tour, they settled on her couch and fell into a deeper conversation. Um, he shared his interest in Buddhist meditation. He, uh, she told him about some romantic troubles and he offered advice and it was just like, wow, once again, too good to be true. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and finally, Jed allegedly said, quote, I like the place and I like you. If you like me, I could just, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, I know, right? I like you and you like me. We could just do this now. Right. Or it sounds like an elementary school relationship. You yeah. like me? Yeah, right. I like you too. We should like be, you. we should, yeah. we should be boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> we should pass notes and hug each <laughs> other a couple notes. times a week. Hold hands at lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> the holding hands. Yeah. yeah that's a oh, fine way to start. Memories. That's a fine way to start an elementary school relationship, but a, a roommate relationship. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yep. And she was uh, pretty excited when he said he could pay her on the spot. He pulled out a check from his pocket and made it out for $800. Mm -hmm. But she noticed that in the, this is the first red flag, in the upper left corner of the check, it was blank. Uh, in the space where his name and address should have appeared, he wrote 219 East Willow Grove Avenue as his address on there. So already putting her address as his on there. Oh. And that's the first step to, you know, really successfully squatting <laughs> is yep. getting your name on some uh, mail for that address. That's right. Once that's done. I mean, he was planting his seed right there, and planting a flag she, really in the ground. Yeah, seriously, because now she has accepted a check with this address. So like a yep. lawyer attorney would be like, once well, she cast look, that check, you cash this check that he gave you with your address yep. on it. Like you didn't yep. notice this. He wrote it on there. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's damning. That's some damning evidence to start with. Yeah, and also the fact that she put the lease agreement in front of him and said, I need you to fill this out. And he was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then just didn't fill it out. Just didn't fill and it And it was out. sitting on the table day after day and just didn't, didn't fill it out. Nope. Mm -hmm. um, that is yeah, a bad so, sign. Yeah, when he returned that night, that evening, he comes back that evening. So right away, the first day they meet, he's, he's moving in that night. He returns and she sees that he had all of his belongings inside of a few Rubbermaid bins and also had a cat carrier because it turned out along with Zachary, he had a cat as well. And I think actually two cats. Um, yeah. And we'll find out those were from former roommates of his that those cats shouldn't have ever belonged to him. <laughs> so no. we'll get into that. He was an animal but, stealer. Yeah, I mean, there's another red flag. He didn't he didn't mention that he had cats, and she uh, turns out is allergic to cats. And he's he assured her that the cat will never come out of the bedroom, that it's very shy, and yada yada. Uh huh. Also weird that he never uh, he never brought a mattress to any of his homes that he would end up moving in with people. He would always just bring a bunch of comforters and throw them on the floor and say he's comfortable sleeping on the floor. Probably because he assumed that at some point he would be living in their master bedroom with yeah. their bed and all of their belongings. Right. He's like, they already have everything I need. So I'll he's like a parasite. They're just like, you know, they, they go into your body and then they take over and they're working your arms and shit. It's, yeah. It's, he's a human parasite. That's him. He doesn't need any of his own things. No. Why would you? Right. But when a when successful... He's just assume your life. When a successful lawyer moves in with six Rubbermaid bins, yeah, you got your stomach's got to drop. You got to be like, oh, right. shit. What have this I just done? weird. What have I done? Yeah. So oh. the following afternoon, though, she felt a lot better when she went and the check didn't bounce. It, de it deposited into her account and cleared. 
Now, like we said, that was also okay. a big issue because now he's just basically got his name on your property and that's good. And at this point, it's three months minimum. Right. If you begin the uh, eviction process this day, three months minimum before you can get him out of there. Yep. The second that he had his name on mail at your address, that's it. You're fucked. Yep. Yep. You can't change the locks. You can't do nothing, dude. So the two quickly fell into a comfortable routine. Everything was great initially. Um, he, he rose early in the morning and took the dog for a run. He tended carefully to his pets, which always put his uh, roommates at ease. They always, almost every roommate that was interviewed about him said that, mm -hmm. yeah, early, initially, I just really appreciated how well of care he took of his animals. You know, that showed right. me that he was a good guy. Usually um, that is a sign that someone is an mm -hmm. affectionate, good person if they if they do care for their animals in a in a good way or they have or animals like them, right? If they have a good relationship. Most serial killers don't have animals. We've come to realize that. I think there's only been like one that had a dog that we covered yeah. over all this time. Most of them don't have they animals. They don't have animals, man. They spend time killing them growing up and then they never have them. No. No. Yeah. No. They just graduate so, to to humans. Yeah. That being said, this guy's not really a serial killer. He does end up uh, no. lashing out and killing someone later in this episode, but we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Right. He's just a, a serial abuser. He gets off on making other people suffer for whatever reason, and we'll get into that. Yeah. <clears throat> he spoke to his dog, Zachary, uh, apparently in, in exclusively in Dutch, which he said he learned while living in the Netherlands in the 1980s. Interesting background, this guy. I got a late start to his lawyer career, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah. He... She said he fed his animals well for Zachary, brand name Kibble, for Abigail the cat, a mix of dry food and organic chicken, which he diced with a serrated knife. That's a little foreshadowing. That knife mm. would come into play later. Right? Yeah. Wow. Um, they spent the nights together on the couch, drinking wine and watching the Rachel Maddow show, one of one of uh, Jed Creek's favorite shows. Of course, he's watching his favorite <laughs> show, right? Of Not course. <laughs> They're doing all his favorite things now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently on one evening, an old hookup overstayed his welcome, refusing to leave despite Alex's requests. And Jed uh, barged into the room and told him to get lost, basically. And the guy left, threatened him. Um, oh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about this little yeah. incident. So this that is kind all of, in the article that gained Alex's trust. That gained mm -hmm. Alex's trust. It really helped, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nice I don't think the, the two-part series had enough time to go into a lot of these details because they talked to so many of his former roommates and it was still like two 40 minute episodes well and they so could have if they weren't showing the same damn pictures over and over again no, I'm just true <laughs> and then the second part like every documentary is such a recap you know they spent 15 minutes saying oh, the I same stuff it's like damn it yeah. you could have gave us some extra info mm -hmm. now that i know but yeah is what it is before your entree we're gonna bring out a second helping of appetizer here you go right. like, i already had <laughs> fucking appetizer i don't need right. any more here's some more fried pickles god damn it yeah <laughs> So then on April 5th, so they'd been, you know, not very long, their 11th day of living together, Miller showed Creek the ability uh, or the utility bills and asked for his half, $140.80. And Jed Creek refused. The bills, he noted, covered a period before he had moved in. What, like a few days, maybe? Well, I guess he'd only been there 11 days. So he actually has a bit of a leg to stand on, but I think yeah. she had a leg to stand on from like, okay, well then pay a third of it or a quarter of it. Pay right. something. You've been here Let, 11 days. Yeah, let's prorate it then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do the math, figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, but however, when Alex pressed him, he texted, "We can handle this in court if you would prefer." Uh oh. And you know what you're in for right away when 
so quickly your your relationship and your you know the partnership you had here and sharing this this home mm-hmm. goes from zero to a hundred. It gets so serious so quickly. It's just like oh wow, yeah. really talking uh, lawsuit already in court right we're talking 11 days in yeah. what the all hell? i did was ask you to pay your portion of the utility bills and you're talking lawyers already okay yeah not that's a good not sign good. and at first the escalation in tone uh jarred alex naturally uh who was looking the dates at the dates however she second guessed herself you know like we said he had only been there 11 days she was asking him to pay for, for the full month's worth of utilities which wasn't actually fair mm-hmm. he had you know he had a good point there but to get so serious so quickly mm-hmm. you know a okay, good roommate would have just said how about then? i pay yeah i was gonna say a good roommate 11 days that's a third of a month how about i pay a third of the bills yeah and then exactly. next month i'll pay in full right that's what a normal person and business relationship would do yep absolutely but then he's not a normal guy and strange things began to happen one evening uh alex came home to find the living room lights wouldn't turn on <laughs> okay <laughs> he had, he had apparently taken the bulbs out of the lights in the living room and screwed them into lamps in his own bedroom. Fantastic. And even better, a few days later, she had a dining set with six chairs this at the is kitchen crazy. table. This is just straight fucking at, like he's just straight fucking with her. Yes. So she had this dining set in her dining room, which had six chairs, all of them. She comes home to find all of them gone. All of them. And so she goes and, you know, gingerly knocks on the door. Um, Jed, uh, have you seen the chairs to the dining room? And he says, yeah, they're in here. I'm, I've basically <laughs> made a, a desk and a, a, you know, I made a desk out of them. Yeah. And she's like, all oh. of them? And he's like, yeah. And then he gets, he starts getting uh, rude and saying, we, there's two people in this house. Why do you need six chairs? And so wow. she was apparently able to talk him into getting two chairs back. So she's got this giant dining table with two chairs. <laughs> I'd be like, that'd be it, bro. I'd be like, motherfucker, if I want to have 20 chairs around my table yep. that I pay for, they're going to sit here. Right. Like, you can exactly. come sit at the kitchen table and do your fucking work. Like, you ain't put on, put in on these chairs, motherfucker. Exactly. These are my chairs. Exactly. You, you ain't pay even paid for your portion chairs. of the fucking utility bills yet. Exactly. God, the, yep. the audacity but we find out mm-hmm. this guy just likes to fuck with people man he mm-hmm. has to like he's just he bored or hates it. himself he or just, something yeah. i don't know he just gets a complete boner from making other people's lives miserable i guess and she would come to find out that he she thought you know when she met him he'd be a busy guy a working lawyer and blah 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 apparently yeah. he never left her home she would talk to neighbors and be like yeah he's always wandering around all times of the day he never leaves part of yeah. that is that he probably knew that early on at they were likely to once they realized the kind of guy he was to possibly change the locks and stuff like that not that right. that would have stopped him from staying there but ultimately like he if he never leaves it's just that much harder to get him out you know no doubt no doubt so when they would argue jed would accuse her of breaking the covenant of quiet enjoyment a technical phrase that she had recognized from her days working as a real estate agent and also as we mentioned she worked uh part-time at a lawyer's office as well mm-hmm. so he he knows the law well, having gone yeah. through law school, especially uh, around the bar rental exam, properties. Come to find out, but yeah, but, around rental part, he really studied that sector yes. hard because he knew that he was going to use it. Oh yeah, yeah, he learned um, quite a bit. He didn't need to pass the bar. He learned so all he needed to learn. Apparently, this is a common thing he would do with his roommates. Uh, he would find things that they would do that would make his life inconvenient, and then use that as his reasoning for not paying rent. At mm. one point in Alex's apartment, he found a cigarette butt in the toilet bowl one afternoon. Due to this discovery, he told her that he would not be paying next month's rent. Next month's rent, and he said, "quote As a paralegal, you should know about the warranty of habit- habit- habitability." He texted her. Oh Lord! 
So he's oh, no. stealing her chairs and fashioning them into a desk and everything like that, taking her light bulbs, but she puts a cigarette butt in the toilet and he's no longer has to pay rent. Yeah, apparently he hates smoking, Lauren. That's where Granted, he draws that is the pretty line. gross, like throwing a cigarette butt in the toilet. Like, I don't know. Smokers, get it together. It's her fucking like, house. I, there's a guy. There's a guy I work with. You you probably know who I'm talking about just by like mentioning it. But like smoker, but also like constantly ranting and raving about global warming and the environment. And then he'll be <laughs> ranting and raving and then throw a cigarette butt out in the parking lot and like step on it. <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> okay, right? Cool. What a contribution, right sir. Yeah. What a contribution. Doing your part there. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Now Alex's mom gets involved, and this is uh, bad news for Jed. I don't care how much uh, he knows about the law and whatnot. When you got a mm. uh, a mom like this, and we all know him, yep. um, we need she, she gets on the case. She gets on the case. You got to have these moms that will mm. get involved. The heroes so, of true uh, crime. <laughs> yeah, Alex basically sicks her mom on the situation, tells her what's going on, and yeah. hearing about Jed Creek's this alleged Jed Creek his behavior, Alex's mom. Uh, gets on the case and starts digging into Google to try and find this guy. And she is having no luck. Like we mentioned earlier, she's finding little towns called Jed Creek and things like that and right. rivers and shit and nothing. But then she finally types in Jed Creek phone number and that combination gives her a different identity. Um, it gives her a guy named Jamison Bachman. And so she calls her daughter right away. And when she finds uh, some information about this Jameson Bachman character, right away she sees all these articles about serial squatter Jameson Bachman. This guy already had a reputation, which is why he had changed his name in the first place to Jed Creek. So she calls her daughter and says, Alex, we have a big problem. Jed Creek is not who he says he is. Mm. And so, yeah, go. let's, let's go into a little bit more about his background. In 2012, Bachman had shown up at the home of a woman across town named Melissa Frost. This is also in Philadelphia, claiming to be a New Yorker whose home had been destroyed in Hurricane Sandy. Mm -hmm. Feeling bad for him, Melissa let him in and nearly lost her house. In an expensive and frightening ordeal that dragged on for months, Bachman slowly tried to assume ownership using his intricate knowledge of tenancy laws to stay one step ahead of her. And was Melissa, I'm trying to remember if she was in the, the two-part episode on I don't think she was. I don't think she was either. But in this instance, he scuffed up the floors, kicked down the doors, and clogged the toilets with cat litter. He loved to use his cat litter as a weapon. He would do it yeah. at just about every place he lived in. He would throw it down their toilet. At one point, um, one of the renters that he shared a room with uh, ended up trying to get her landlord involved because if the landlord gets involved, it's easier to get uh, someone evicted. Yeah. And so he would start dumping his cat litter out the window onto the landlord's property, which was right behind. Oh, geez. He's just using his cat litter left and right as a weapon. See, and that makes you wonder if that's why he kept the animals. It's just annoyances, <laughs> right? Well, He's one like, would later believe that he killed one of his cats just as a, like, a means to getting back at someone. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like he had them just as pawns, you know, or yeah. just further things that could Also, possibly people. as a means for what we mentioned earlier to get the, the person to be his roommate to be comfortable with him initially oh, right it's right. another thing like you see how he treats them and it just makes you comfortable kind of like how we've seen some serial killers utilize a partner or who's like a female that's true in order to be able to uh, abduct women that's true some reason a a single man with a dog is less threatening than just a single man yeah yeah oh no doubt yeah yeah i see what so you she said, Melissa said, quote, he went from being this cordial, polite person who understood he was a guest in my house to someone who was approaching me aggressively and flat out saying, this is my house now. 
And it turns mm-hmm. out that Jameson Bachman had been doing this for a long time. He had dozens of victims spread up and down the East Coast, driving roommate after roommate into court and often from their home. And amazingly, it seemed as though his primary motivation wasn't free rent, although he often got that. It was seemed to be something of the fact that he relished the anguish of those that had taken him in. He was really much like a parasite, just enjoyed the yeah. suffering of uh, the host. Because he really didn't gain anything. He never got to stay in these properties like super long term. I know he spent like four years in, with one lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it, it, I mean, it's, it's it confrontational. It lasted for what, it's, like six months or something. And it was the whole time was just back and forth. Combative. Right. It, and like, like you said, we know his motivation is not just needing a place to stay because who would want to live like that? I mean, even he mm-hmm. is in constant turmoil of having to go to court and try to stay one step ahead. But I guess he liked it. He had to have yeah. liked it. He had, yeah. in order to live a life like because this, because he had nothing to, to lose. That's the thing. I guess it, he had yeah. nothing to lose because, like, let's he say just, he loses in court, he just moves on to the next person, changes his name, right? And th- he knows that the law will benefit him over and over again. It's the if most, he can just make his way into your home. It's almost like a vampire. You know how they they have to be invited in. Yeah, it's like <laughs> they it's can like, do whatever they want <laughs> for real. It's like the most pathetic type of person, honestly. Someone who hates themselves yeah. and is disappointed in themselves, and instead of changing their life and making themselves someone that people want to be around and someone that people will love, they go and just take try to take everything else from other people. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, you know, it's like they he probably feels bad about being homeless or whatnot. Well, now every roommate he's ever been with at some point in time or another ended up being homeless because of him. It's like. I'm going to drive you down to my level and I yep. like doing it. Yep. It's fucked up, man. Something yep. something wasn't right. Yep. So for Melissa Frost, it was the hurricane that had gotten him in her door and for Alex Miller, it was a, you know, sickly relative in need of Bachman's aid. Mm-hmm. But for others, an alcoholic roommate or a sudden change in employment did the trick. Whatever he had to tell to tell the person to let him in, to invite him in, much like a vampire like we said. Exactly. Um he would mention his education at Georgetown University, uh, University of which he had a master's in history, and the University of Miami, where he got his law degree. Um, and he would describe how he made a living doing litigation and tutoring youngsters online. And he promised that he was clean and respectful and required nothing more than a quiet room and a fast internet connection. And mm-hmm. uh, another roommate of his um, named Sonia Acevedo, a 49-year-old vet tech from Brooklyn, saw Bachman's U-Haul pull up outside her beachside condo. She was in that two-part episode. She mm-hmm. had the beautiful condo on the beach that she yes. actually, I believe, had purchased. She had like taken out yes. uh, she was money out of her of retirement. This. She'd taken money out of her pension in order to put a down payment on. This was her dream home. Yes. And it's so sad. She ultimately ended up losing this, and she's crying at the end of the series. Like, I lost it because of this guy. I was never able to recover from that time that I didn't get any, you know, rent from him to pay my mortgage. And she ended up getting, uh, her her place got foreclosed on. But Mm -hmm. upon meeting him, he pulled up with a fucking U-Haul. Big red flag. There's no way, I'm sorry, Sonia, but like, there's no way I'm letting a dude move in with me if like he's already assuming that it's going to work, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like... Yeah, Uh, but she's about to lose her home and he shows up not only with the U-Haul, but with a check, just like he always does. He has a check and the check is good. The check is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, actually, I I think he brought cash on this occasion. Oh, didn't she say she she was like this, this cash that he handed her was a godsend. She was actually thanking God. Oh, well, there you go. uh, Even better for this man to come into her life. And she interestingly, this he was not her only option. She said that she had uh, had two people hit her up on her ad. One of them was a young couple with children. And yeah. the other one was a, uh, you know, uh, more of an established man, a lawyer, 
and all that. And she's like, of course, I'm going to go with the lawyer of with course. the dog because she was also an animal person. And that was actually an added bonus for her. She put pets welcome in her ad. Right, right, right. Yeah. But not kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when uh, he pulls up with a U-Haul across the street and he basically is saying, I'm sorry to be, you know, sudden, but I think his whole story with uh, that he laid on her was that he was going through a bad breakup and then it was either he'd get this room with her or that he was going to be sleeping in the U-Haul. Yes. And this was in the spring of 2012. And like we mentioned, she prayed to God uh, that, a, that uh, he had shown up and brought her this cash so that she could make her mortgage payments. Yep. And uh, so things started off smoothly as they always did. Those first three months were perfect, she recalled. She and Bachman ate breakfast together while the sun rose over the beach, talking about little things, errands, pets, politics. But shortly after Bachman moved in, one of, uh, one of her cats died. And when she returned home from the vet that afternoon, Bachman met her at her car tears welling in her eyes saying i'm so sorry and pulling her in for a hug so this is he's just further you know just mm. sucking her in yep sticking his claws into her yep and and so things were going well um but then he began to toy with his victim moving things in the home initially taking them for himself seemingly making his territory unsettling for the primary resident so basically like a dog going in and pissing on everything he's he's kind of yeah. like marking his territory he's like saying i can, this is my home yeah. i can do whatever i want with that i can rearrange your furniture which he did on one occasion say, on the first that, day yeah <laughs> first day that was one of his favorite things to do was yeah. rearrange the furniture he would just come in yeah. and just take ridiculous liberties with other people's stuff that you mm -hmm. would just never imagine yeah huge red flags early yep. on crazy Michael uh, Oberhauser was a 31-year-old composer and music theorist living in Northwest D.C. He welcomed Jameson Bachman into his apartment in the fall of 2016, and almost immediately tensions rose around the uh, a red bath mat of his, of his uh, Oberhausers. Right. Well, <laughs> he noticed that every time that he would go into the bathroom, uh, Jameson had picked it up and tossed it in the corner every time he used the bathroom. And uh, when Oberhauser asked him, he said, quote, I asked him about it and he said, oh yeah, I was going to clean it. So I put it back and he kept throwing it out. Eventually he duct taped the mat to the floor. Beneath it, he placed a note reading, why? <laughs> Simply <laughs> why? <laughs> oh, why are you keep moving this mat? Did he, did he reply? Exactly. Because this wasn't covered in the documentary either. Right. I imagine he just then took it and threw it in the corner again. Yeah, right through the paper over there too. Right. <laughs> so if Bachman's intentions were first unclear, in most cases, by the time the second month's rent came due, they became unmistakable. Time and time again, his roommates were informed that some minor discomfort they'd inflicted upon him, like we mentioned earlier with the cigarette butt in the toilet, mm -hmm. or a diddy, dirty living room, or a dish left in the sink, had violated their lease and meant that Bachman would, wouldn't be paying his rent. As if he wasn't doing all kinds of shit to their stuff. I you know. know. Like, but I but guess it doesn't matter when, when the lease is in your name and he never signed, like co-part on the lease and he doesn't he's just living there he doesn't right. have to like there's nothing legally binding him to pay a certain amount nope. necessarily nope the the landlord's gonna go back to the initial primary renter who initially moved in and signed the lease not the person who they then let live with them exactly exactly so when things would get tense he would stop leaving the house so they couldn't change the locks one of his victims who we mentioned earlier melissa frost uh the one that he had uh, claimed his story was Hurricane Sandy was what uprooted him. She became so fed up that uh, he had unplugged his microwave, her microwave, uh, that she, un or no, he'd put his microwave in her kitchen. That's what it was. Okay. She got so fed up with his antics that she unplugged his microwave and brought it upstairs to his room, telling him he couldn't keep his things in the common areas. 
Um, Jameson shouted that she had no right to touch his things. And oh, wow. No right to touch his things. Wow. The audacity. Um, seriously. Um, he then used the microwave to push her slowly backward until she was teetering on the edge of the staircase. Ooh. You would see this time and time again. He would bully women. I mean, oh, he would yeah. straight up like get in their face and punk them, like physically, yeah. like insinuate that he's going to hurt them. Yep. And in this case, pushing her to the edge of a staircase is very threatening. Absolutely. You like to play those now, mind games. On this occasion, Melissa Frost had a friend over and this friend intervened and Melissa would call the police. Sometime after the cops arrived, a calico cat of, of Jameson Bachman's named Emma disappeared. And Bachman wrote, this is what we mentioned earlier, where he may have killed his own animals in order to get what he wanted. Um, he would write to, to Melissa in fury, quote, in all caps, you are the proximate cause of my cat's disappearance and presumed death. Do not communicate with me again unless it's through your attorney. Yet, even wow. after all of this, Melissa Frost approached him to try and negotiate a peaceful exit. She offered to return the money he paid in November and to try and find him a new place to stay. However, hearing her offer, he just laughed. And this is another thing he would do. He would maniacally laugh uh, at these people. It seems like he almost exclusively, I guess there was a couple male people that he rented rooms from, but he seems mm -hmm. like he targeted women yeah, because he could really bully them more so. And he would laugh this just evil laugh like, ha, you stupid girl, you're not getting anything out of me. Right. Um, and he burst, uh, when he just laughed, she burst into tears and he pretended to comfort her quote. He goes, you got your whole life in front of you. You're pretty and you're talented and you got this house. Well, you don't have this house anymore. The house is my house. Oh, good creepy. Lord. Good Lord. Yeah. That was she one of his it was favorite like something phrases. Out of a movie. She yeah. says it was like something out of a movie. Yeah. He is so creepy, man. He loved to tell people he was going to take their house. Yeah. That was his first first defense right there. They would come at him with anything, be like, all right, that's it. I'm taking your house. Mm -hmm. Unsane. So his legal training uh, had come in, come later in life as he had returned from those years abroad. So let's get into his background. Um, as a kid, Jameson Bachman had been groomed for greatness. His parents raised him in Elkins Park on the northern part of Philadelphia, a really nice part of Philly. His father owned a construction company and his mother stayed at home. He had a brother named Harry for uh, four years, Jameson Sr., his brother was handsome and multi-talented, juggling uh, the varsity soccer team and starring in plays. And Jameson was always kind of chasing after his older brother who was beloved and yeah. plays a large role in who he ultimately became. He let this define him, the fact that uh, his brother was more successful than him. I guess Just, so. But like when they interviewed some of Jameson's friends, they all looked up to him. They all thought yeah. he was cool and talented and you know, good yeah. looking and whatnot. And it's so crazy that Jameson was the only one that didn't see this. All he did was, it was just a fucking pity party his whole damn life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even as a kid, he was telling yeah. his best friend, Bob, who we hear from in this case that, you know, you don't understand how bad my home life is and this and that. And it's like, but everyone else on, in your bro. family says differently. Like you were basically like spoiled to right? death. You know? You're the only one that feels this way. Like yeah. something's weird. Everybody you meet's an asshole. We've said it You're before. Asshole. Exactly. So where Harry, his older brother, was outgoing and humble, Jameson was anything but humble. Quote, he was the cockiest kid you ever met, said Bob Friedman, one of Jameson's closest childhood friends, who would play a role in this because he would later, they would have a long hiatus from seeing each other as Bob went on to become successful and Jameson went on to, you know, do whatever, move all over the world and then come back at 40 and start a law, a career in law. Right. Um, 
Jameson harbored no doubts about his own abilities. He earned high marks, excelled at tennis, and spent his free time devouring books on the history of Western civilization. According to uh, Alex Friedman, uh, Friedman, oh no, Bob Friedman, sorry, his Bob best Friedman, friend Bob. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jameson had an almost unquenchable competitive streak and very little interest in a fair fight. Weekend hmm. after weekend, he would force uh, Bob Friedman to play a board game called Midway which simulated the 1942 Pacific Theater battle in World War II. Basically, the game was slanted towards the Americans winning. And of course, Jameson had to be the Americans every time, forcing his friend to basically lose over and over again every weekend. Mm, just so playing fun. into his narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. So fun. Right. This Bob guy, man. What he, a he trooper. He needs some more self-esteem. Why are you hanging out with this asshole? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, Bob, ditch this motherfucker. Right. But I think Bob was also friends with uh, Jameson's older brother, Harry, as well. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. he was probably more of the draw as to why he went over there and hung out with... But I think Bob was closer in age to Jameson, and right. they hung out a lot more. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So Jameson's older brother would turn out to be the star, but Jameson was supposed to be the golden boy. Quote, his parents made him think he was the Christ child, that he could do no wrong, Free, uh, Bob told, Bob mentioned. Uh, he remembered Jameson's mother, Joan, as a Carol Channing type, an ebullient woman who pinched her son's cheeks. They doted on him. It was always, you're doing great, champ. You're doing the best. Mm. And and actually, Jameson had a grandfather who he uh, adored. And his grandfather, I think at one point later in life, said that I, you were the horse I bet on and you failed me. Yeah. Yeah. So he That's had a tough. lot, you know... He had but, a lot of pressure growing up, I guess, to be perfect, essentially. And his older brother w did basically pass the test and was perfect. And maybe the pressure just got to Jameson. Yeah. Trying to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. But also be different. You know, that doesn't, that rarely happens where two brothers follow the same path. Usually, if one brother succeeds in something, the next brother doesn't want anything to do with that shit. He's like, yeah. no, nah, I'm doing my own thing. That's already, there, we already have somebody who does that. I'm going to mm -hmm. do this, you know? And, but I think Jameson wanted to be his older brother and he was just never going to be him. Yeah. And instead of making his own way and finding his own, his own, uh, things he's good at and whatnot, he just had pity party for the rest of his life and brought other people down. Yeah. Yeah. Bob talked more about their family di dynamic and he said it got to the point where it was almost phony. It was over the top. It felt like they were perf both performing a role. Mm. Um, and we mentioned the grandfather. So Jameson had a role model, his his maternal grandfather, Abram J. Brem Levy, a prominent attorney in the city of Philadelphia. In the 1950s, he had co-founded a criminal defense firm with Samuel Dash, who would go on to serve as chief counsel to the Senate Watergate Commission in 1973. And as a trial lawyer, he became a fixture in the local papers. So he was like a local hero, yeah. uh, badass attorney, always on the spotlight on him. And once again, just further reminds me of both uh, Robert Durst and also um, DuPont, John DuPont, you know, John coming DuPont, from prominent man. families and having all this pressure and then not living up to it. Yep. And yep. being a stain on the family name, apparently. Right. And then throwing your weight around because you're mad about be, it for the rest be, of your he, life. He cornered himself into becoming the black sheep of the family and then just let that define him and then just basically mm. held that chip on his shoulder and anger throughout his life. Excellent point. I mean, you know, somebody who, and he had every opportunity to start over. I mean, he even traveled abroad and shit, mm -hmm. right? It's like you could have went and lived in the Netherlands and your brother's influence wouldn't have mattered. Like yeah. your family's influence wouldn't have mattered. Your disappointed grandpa wouldn't have mattered. 
you could have made a name for yourself out there from scratch. Exactly. If that's what yeah. you wanted. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted to get revenge. He wanted yeah. revenge. Well, there's also something that some say may have defined Jameson Bachman, uh, a okay. very dramatic experience that he went through in his early 20s oh, uh, yes. when he was in college. Okay. Yeah. So Bachman, uh, Jameson Bachman enrolled at Tulane University in the fall of 1975, trying to get his life started, going through his education. But his time there was rocky and brief. A, he was witness to a horrific incident in which someone close to him, one of his good friends that he'd grown up with, uh, was murdered right in front of him. Um, in campus, in the Chai House, just off campus, uh, Bachman was not a member of that frat, but he told Bob Friedman, his, you know, his best friend that he later connected with, he'd mm -hmm. been hanging around the house with a friend from Elkins Park, a boy uh, a year older named Ken Goodseat. And suddenly, a man appeared with a knife and slashed Goodseat's throat. The word Jameson used was beheaded. So he dramatized this thing a bit much where it was it was more that this guy came in, he had had this beef with mm -hmm. uh, Goodseat's uh, over this guy not being allowed in a certain cafeteria or something. They'd gone back and forth and Gutsy had kept saying, hey, you're not allowed to be here. And this guy had had enough and came in and right in front of Jameson had stabbed this guy to death right in front of him. Oh, and slid and, his throat pretty deep as well. And I think yeah. that's where the, the beheaded thing came from because I think he stretched it into like the guy's head was chopped off with a meat cleaver. Like he went pretty, yeah. he went pretty drastic with it. Um, mm -hmm. But in the article, I mean, in the documentary, they actually showed an article from the newspaper, and it, it was yep. a, a throat slashing. But it, yeah, it was the, a throat the, slashing right in front of him, no doubt. The killer was a 25-year-old student librarian named Randall Vidrine. And him and the victim were said to have had been feuding since the previous fall after Vidrine called campus police on Gotsits for eating a cheese sandwich among the stacks. Whatever so. that means. What, what, what I, I think there was there were sandwiches for the students or something, and this librarian guy who was not allowed to eat them ate one or something. I mean, it's like also like, bro, whoa, let it go. You killed a guy over a sandwich? Yeah, over a well, cheese. They had an ongoing feud. They had an ongoing feud. Apparently, it was probably oh, okay. a few sandwiches or something. Okay, that was just a sandwich that broke the camel's back. I feel you. Yeah. Okay. So after this, uh, the traumatic experience, Jameson Bachman returned home in the summer of 1976. Family and friends found him shaken. He appeared oddly paranoid and ranted to Bob Friedman, his best friend, about the rising tide of anti-Semitism and threats to the state of Israel. And mm. so apparently this attack was anti-Semitic when it really had something to do with a cheese sandwich. Well, yeah, I know, right? Now I'm wondering, because Gutsy, mm -hmm. I guess that does sound like a like a Jewish last yeah, name. Yeah, it does huh? sound like a Jewish name. Gutsy. So yeah, maybe, ooh, maybe there was something deeper to that feud. Maybe more than a sandwich? Yeah. Maybe a deep-seated hatred for his Eek. religion? Yeah. So those close to him worried that Gutsy's murder had served as a mental breaking point. Clearly distraught, Bachman spent the summer getting high, and then he dropped off the map. Friedman, Bob Friedman, his best friend, didn't see him again for 20 years. When Bachman called him out of the blue and said he was living in D.C., they met at a bookstore in Crystal City, and it was like finding a long-lost brother, Bob said. We got very close very quickly. Um, Jameson said he'd been living in Israel, where he claimed he had served in the Israeli Defense Forces. There, he had fallen in love with a Dutch woman who had followed him home. In the Netherlands, he had studied Japanese at Leiden University, a school that catered to international students. And this is interesting because the early 1980s marked the zenith of Dutch squatting, uh, which was like a whole movement, apparently, in the, in the 80s. Uh, really, like the 60s through the 80s um, in the Netherlands, it became a, a really big thing, squatting. 
So we'll go mm-hmm. into a quick history about that. Squatting in the Netherlands is the op- uh, is the occupation of unused or derelict buildings or land without the permission of the owner. The modern squatters movement began in the 1960s in the Netherlands, and by the 1980s, it had become a powerful anarchist social movement with regularly, which le- regularly came into conflict with the state, particularly in Amsterdam, re- resulting in multiple riots. Wow, so this is yeah, a I whole thing that, that had happened. Yeah, and so and- he maybe got his idea to come to the states and partake in this because mm-hmm. of what he had learned from being over in the netherlands during the 80s yeah yeah i don't think he chose philadelphia out of the blue man i think he had well he that's had, where he grew up well but that's also true. it didn't hurt that they had very lax laws as far as uh you know squatting yeah. so exactly it's the perfect storm for him yeah what's up creepers i want to tell you about a brand new podcast from usg audio It's a scripted, cerebral thriller entitled The End Up, with award-winning executive producer Sam Esmail, and starring Himesh Patel, Merritt Weaver, John Reynolds, and Marianne Jean-Baptiste. The End Up is a story about connection. The story takes place in a tilted near-future world where terminal cancer patients who wish to end their suffering must attend a week-long boot camp. Two best friends wrestle with their goodbye after one enrolls in the program and the other grows skeptical. You can listen to the first three episodes on August 16th with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe to The End Up wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get back to the show. So shortly after the reunion with Bob Friedman, uh, Jameson broke up with his girlfriend and Friedman invited him to stay at his family's home in the suburbs. Big mistake. Um, however, for his friend, Bob, his, his, his friend, Bob, who was very easygoing and honestly, maybe the guy was like, just let too much shit slide. That's why he was friends with Bob's or friends with Jameson for so long. Bob I mean, most looked people up to Jameson. Bob looked yeah, up to Jameson. Why. You could even see that in the documentary. Yeah. Like even after all this, yeah. he still yeah. said, he still making excuses for him. He still said 80% good stuff about Jameson. Yeah. Like, and everything bad he said came with like a disclaimer. I'm like, bro, come on. Like, you're still under this guy's spell. Like, fuck this guy at this point. Yeah. So (sighs) as to Jameson living with Bob's family for a moment, he said, quote, he was never a problem, perfectly well-behaved, a great guest. He's the only guy that ever says this kind of shit. Like, (laughs) he was under a spell, wasn't he? He was. He did, however, it's after a while, start to make uh, Bob Friedman's wife uncomfortable. Yeah, I imagine okay. so. Okay, yeah. Women pick up on that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're picking up on that early on. Yeah. So Bob had gone on to be successful, and it was, you know, it, it was always supposed to be the opposite. Bob Friedman was supposed to have a very ordinary, non-compelling life, and yet uh, Jameson, coming from this very affluent, uh, powerful family, was supposed to be the successful one, and it turned out to be the opposite. You know, right. Jameson was floundering and Bob Friedman had launched an international barbecue restaurant franchise called Red Hot and Blue. Mm. And Jameson was at the time stocking books and writing copy part time for a news program. And sometimes he mowed lawns to make ends meet. So feeling bad for Jameson, Bob Friedman hired him as a manager at the local Red Hot and Blue with no prior experience. And of course, oh, wow. Jameson took the role and ran with it. He showed up on his first day of work with a suit and tie. Uh, telling employees he had been brought in as a consultant to work to turn the business around. Oh, Lord. (laughs) 
He's so good. His buddy, at just does, assuming... him, his buddy does him a solid, and then he shows up first day doing that shit. Dude, he's fucking Robert California from the damn right? office. He's the fucking <laughs> Lizard King, bro. Right. He just shows up, and he's whatever role he needs to play to fuck people yep. over. Yep. God, this guy. Yep. So Bob finally put his foot down and fired Jameson, and not long after that, he asked him to move out. So even there was there was boundaries to even Bob's uh, patience, Apparently. you know. Apparently. Yeah. So Jameson's brother, uh, his success offered perhaps a sharper contrast still. Harry had earned a degree in architecture from Cornell, married a psychologist from Paris, and raised two daughters in a colonial-style home on a quiet street in Elkins Park. So just the absolute it's... perfect uh, life. <laughs> I hate success. to make I hate to make two office office references in a row, but every time I hear Cornell, right. I think about Andy from the office. Oh, of course. You right. know, I went to Cornell, right? You know, I went, right. to, I, I went to Cornell, so right. <laughs> and he was in his choir group, right? That he never shut up about. <laughs> yeah. It was like an acapella group or some shit. Yeah. So as we mentioned, Jameson was the stain on the family. According to Bob Friedman, uh, Jameson's family were ashamed that their youngest son hadn't similarly flourished like his older brother. Mm -hmm. And when Jameson talked about his family, it was often with resentment. Sometimes he noted he per what he perceived as his parents' better treatment of his brother, as if it explained his failure to launch properly into adulthood. So it was his family's fault that he never really got started. Bro, it's always somebody else's fault. Yeah, when you're a narcissistic sociopath, there's, there's always somebody to blame. You yeah. know that. You know that. You can't take responsibility. Get out of here. Yeah. Even some of the roommates that he had tortured uh, mentioned that uh, Jameson expressed a deep-seated hatred for his mother. Quote, Jameson would say, at least you had a mother. Uh, I didn't have a mother after the age of eight because I had my mind, I had a mind of my own and she didn't like that. Oh. Oh. So. Yep. Mommy troubles. Man, he's just got mm -hmm. all of them, don't he? Yep. He's got them all. Everything's, you know, everything's everyone else's fault. That, that poor guy. guy. Just that poor right. soul, man. Just given a bad lot in life you know mm -hmm. <laughs> imagine some of the people who truly gotten dealt bad cards in life yeah you know thrown into really impoverished areas with almost no avenue for success and then they hear this guy's fucking sob story no. came from a rich family there's too much pressure on me oh my god get over yeah. it bro yeah wow so uh jameson when his father died from cancer he didn't go to the funeral um, shortly after he returned home where the fate of his father's estate was being determined and expecting to receive a portion of the money uh, he was told his mother claimed it for herself and he was furious Ooh. I mean you haven't been around your family for the last 20-30 years right? and you didn't go to your father's funeral because you're angry at him and yet you expect him to you know, have had you put in the will you expect the mother to dole out some of that cash right dude you, you get what you give you get what you give and he gave nothing to his family in those later years mm -hmm. so you can't exp expect them to give back to you yeah you can't one thing he did one one group of people he did impress however were his professors when he was going through college he was the teacher's pet oh, um, and they okay. found him to be remarkable when he got his second law degree at the age of 45 his instructors at georgetown and the university of miami remembered him as remarkable a student with extraordinary talents he was this quote a star researcher whose contrarian style made classroom discussions lively and oh, uh one okay. professor from georgetown wrote in 20 years of university teaching i have encountered very few people of his caliber oh god that's just what he, he sounds insufferable he sounds insufferable in class right if you're one of the other students 
I know. He's just constantly trying to dunk on you and shit and make, like, try to make you look bad in front of the professor. And that's exactly, you. and that was his whole motivation. If there's somebody yeah. that he can ruin life for or mm -hmm. make things miserable for, then that's his motivation. And in a, yeah. I think in a classroom setting, his motivation was to make everyone else look bad. So he would do whatever he had to do. And in I that just case, imagine it was him. succeeding. <laughs> I could just imagine someone like answering a professor's question in front of class and then him just maniacally like, ha, 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 oh, that's cute. And then going into his <laughs> <Right>. whole spiel. <laughs> right. Oh, man. That would be good, except for you're wrong. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So here's yeah. what it really is. Right. What a douche. Yeah. So Jameson may have started his legal education late, but he wasted no time putting it to use, tangling with at least three people in housing disputes before he'd even graduated. However, in 2003, another thing would go on to find him. He failed the bar exam on his first try and never bothered to take it again. So as brilliant as he was, well, yeah. I know the bar is uh, supposed to be brutal, you know, but if he's as genius as his professor say he was, you think he would have passed it on the first try easily. Well, he's, he's probably too smart for the bar. So that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's it, no the bar's really not designed for out of the box thinkers. Right. It's designed for people who follow the program to a team. Right. These contrarian so. out of the box thinkers, uh, the bar is just, struggle. yeah, it's just a waste. It's like an IQ mm. test. Why even take it? It would be so off the charts. It would be embarrassing. <laughs> so it's not even, even worth my time. It. It's not even worth it, bro. I'm not even going to take yeah. it again. Yeah. So having not passed the bar, his legal skills were then limited to a single client himself. And mm. so, one, one woman suing for the repayment of more than $36,000 in debts became, in Bachman's words, quote, bitter and a woman scorned. Alleging she'd given him herpes, Bachman countersued her for torturous transmission of an incurable venereal disease. Oh, wow. Wow. I think always... that had to have been the, uh, the woman that he lived with for four years, right? Because that would be, that would, it would take that long to rack up that much cash in rent, right? And that was the woman that he had, uh, they had dated for the first year or two that they were living together. And she yes. greatly regretted this. Yes, because they started as like a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. And then he moved in. And then, and then you know, she as, just could not get rid of him. She couldn't get rid of him. Yeah. Couldn't get rid of him. Mm. Yeah. And then another victim of his pointed out how Jameson's tendency, Jameson had a tendency to clog his roommate's toilets with cat litter and elicited the statement, quote, correct me if I'm wrong. This is what Jameson's response was to the, the whole kitty litter thing. He said, correct me if I'm wrong, as I only have two graduate degrees, but my understanding was the proper place for shit is in a toilet. <laughs> so dumping this kitty litter box into the fucking toilet is the proper way to go, according to the law, apparently. He's a fucking asshole, dude. <laughs> He's such a douche. He's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so the judges the judges oftentimes saw through his bullshit you know they hear bullshit all day long they know who the the, the shit peddlers are mm -hmm. so to speak and when he stepped before judge martin uh, marvin williams in philadelphia to accuse melissa frost of destroying his property uh, judge williams told him quote i find you to be totally incredible i don't believe a word you say and frankly you're frightening right <laughs> incredible not amazing like uncredible right. <laughs> like i've never seen anything like this right you couldn't yeah. be further from credible. Yeah. <laughs> so in most instances, due to these judges not buying it, the counterclaims and self-defenses that he brought forward were utter failures. But uh, the result seems to have been almost beside the point. He would ultimately just move on to another one. You know, he would play out his time there. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they would, you know, most of the time, the person that rented the room to him would win in court. But by then, they'd been drained mentally, physically, financially. He'd leached every bit out of them, and then now yeah. he moves on to a new host. He'd already sucked you dry of everything, and now he's going to move on to a new host. Wow. Well put. 
Well put. That's yeah. exactly. And that was his only intention. He he wasn't really mm-hmm. trying to win the apartment or any of this. He just just trying to take shit for free over and over again and ruin people's lives. Mm-hmm. Back in 2005, he was hired to teach at the Thornton Donovan School, a private school in New Rochelle. And the headmaster of this school offered him an apartment in a beautiful home on a peaceful street near campus. And according to one former roommate, uh, Jameson began boasting about how much he'd impressed the school. So much, he said that they were already considering making him the school's next headmaster. Oh, my God. Which which was an absolute joke. Even the woman he was living with at the time, the one that he was leeching from for four years, said, like, I don't think that's going to happen. And at which point he, like, turned on her, like, like, you'd get that different change in his face. And they said his eyes would go black. Yeah, yeah. He was teaching, by the way, like, eight, nine-year-olds. It was, like, basic primary school. And, like, he was just bullying these kids, basically. Like, his program was far too difficult for them because he thought he was, you know, the most intelligent man around. Right. And the students were complaining to their parents and to, you know, the principal that, like, this this teacher scares me, basically. There was one review of him that was left on a website called Rate My Teachers, and the quote was, he scares me. <laughs> That's it. So, yeah, yeah not likely a- to become headmaster. No. No, he took it way too freaking serious. Now, I know it was a private school, and so, you know, they probably had uniforms. The teachers probably were all of, you know, very high degree and whatnot. And so he thought he was going to come in there, and he's like, finally, a school worthy of me. Could you you imagine if they'd actually given him the role of headmaster, the mistake that that would have been? Like, you'd never get that out out a couple years down the road, and he's like, you'd have to bulldoze the school to get him out of there. What was the the principal in in, um, Matilda? Trunchable, oh. her name. <laughs> Just throwing kids out of windows and shit. That would you know, be fucking stupid. Slinging them around by out. their pigtails. Yeah, you got the hole. He'd have the hole to stick the kids in when they had a wrong answer. Like, oh, oh my god. god, it's just full of cat litter. Right, exactly. <laughs> it just dumps cat shit on their head whenever they have a wrong answer. Oh my god. Yeah, he's awful, bro. So when in the spring, when the school informed him that his contract would not be renew, renewed, he withheld his rent in protest and refused to move out of the faculty apartment. This ain't like just some random apartment, you know, that someone's renting a room to, bro. This is not going to go well. Right. They, they will evict you quicker. You know, they're a school. They, they, got, they got means. So after two months, the school would ultimately evict him. And oh, now we'll go into Arlene. So this is the woman we keep alluding to who he leached from for four years, who he dated yes. for a little while. Arlene. Uh, her last name is brutal, so I'm not going to say it. She was a 43-year-old professional dog walker living in Queens, and she would make the mistake of allowing Jameson to stay with her in June of 2006 after his eviction from the school. So this is around the same time that he's gotten kicked out of that school, and he's given her the whole sob story about how they didn't understand him and yada, yada. Right, right. So at the time she took him in, Arlene and Jameson were casually dating, and she lived on a railroad apartment above a hobby shop in Richmond Hill. And he would often use this as a complaint as to why he wouldn't pay rent to because it was such a noisy apartment because the you know the train would go by he couldn't study because of it and yada yada. It's like bro, the train was here when you moved in. Like that's yeah. you can't mm-hmm. no you can't use that. Yeah. My God. She she made Jameson guarantee he'd stay no longer than two months. And four months later or four years later, sorry, two mm-hmm. months became six, six months became a year, one year became four, four years without four him paying any years. rent for four fucking years. Imagine he only paid the first month, basically the first month of that four years. Dude, imagine living with somebody in your home that you don't want around, but they're in your home, your safe place for four years. You pull up from work and you're just looking up at the light on. I think she mentioned that and you're just like, God damn it. Yeah. I hate my own home living situation. He's in there with my stuff 
with my animals, my room, mm -hmm. my living room, you know what I'm saying? Eating my food, using my power. And uh, what's, man, she's such a good person too. Like she, she mentioned how she considered several times just leaving because you know she was having to work two jobs just to have this apartment that he was leeching on like and he's living there all the time she's working her double shift coming home in the middle of the night and this asshole's been there the whole day right and and she's like i considered leaving but she really liked her landlord he really liked her he was an older guy that they had had a great renter uh you know tenant situation right and um she she knew that if she left she'd be sticking this poor guy with this guy that was not going to pay any rent and he wouldn't get anything for his apartment and finally she snapped in t October of 2010, more than four years after Jameson had moved in, she opened up one of the bills and just lost it. She turned to Bachman and demanded he pay for the cable bill. And Jameson laughed at her and said he wouldn't. And she says she wasn't a violent person, but rage overcame her and she slapped him. In response, mm -hmm. Jameson showed his true violent side, grabbing her by the throat. And she ultimately pulled herself free and ran to the street for help. Uh, but the mistake here, is that she hit him first. She hit him first and she also uh, wasn't quick enough filing the restraining order. He beat her to the punch and that ultimately costed her. Yes. So although they lived in the same house, they both were basically told by police who were trying to figure this whole thing out. They were told by police on both ends to file protection orders against each other, which legally required them to remain 100 yards apart, which is hilarious because they're living in the same small apartment. Right. It can't even be so, 100 yards apart. Yeah. So they file, they both file for restraining orders and they're both given them. However, he filed his first and got it in stamped and, you know, completed first. And mm -hmm. that ultimately decided her fate. So she decided that the only way she could ultimately get him out was to file for eviction, something she should have done years ago. She should have done it three months into the situation when she realized where it was going. Yep. Um, so on November, uh, on a November morning, she and her landlord went to the Queen City Council, Civil Council Court to put in the paperwork. And when Jamison learned that she had filed for eviction, his eviction, he retaliated, filing a police report that claimed that she had come at him with a knife, persuading the police to arrest her. So she, she described this fucking creepy situation in which she finally asked her landlord for help, saying, I can't get this guy out, can you help me? They go together, they file the eviction, and Jamison somehow found out. Like he must've overheard their conversations about it or whatever. He knew that they went and filed this. So she said yeah. the next morning after she filed that, she was brushing her teeth and she looked over her shoulder and there he was standing there with just this evil glare. And she leaves for work and that was the day that he called the police and claimed that she had come at him with a knife. Just and, out of the blue, he just comes up yeah. with this. She's, and she's so because, so he files this you know, report saying she came at him with a knife and because he had filed the restraining order and gotten his in first, She's arrested, and at that point, she's forbidden to go near her apartment, which meant that Jameson was now in full possession of her apartment. And taking advantage, showing his true evil side, he began dropping off her cats at kill shelters. Her cats were very old, needed mm -hmm. a lot of attention. They needed medicine. She was That was her primary concern when she was in jail. It was like, I know he's not going to give my cats their medicine. Right. And even worse than that, he took them to kill shelters, at which point one of her, I think she had two, one of her cats ultimately was beyond saving by the time she got to it and she had to end up putting it down. Mm. And I think and, he uh, took he took one cat with him of hers. Yeah, he ended think, up taking s several of his tenants' animals. Some of the animals, like, yeah. I think all of the animals he had were probably stolen oh, from yeah. former roommates. Yeah. In hindsight, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that dog, that 13-year-old dog, Zachary, I'm sure he was from somebody. And then the tabby cat, yeah, they were all from somebody. 
In January of 2017, Jameson arrived at the home of Neville Henry, a 40-year-old Bermudian, a Bermudian uh, immigrant living in South Philly. And according to Henry, Jameson sent pictures of himself uh, ahead of time. But when he showed up on Henry's doorstep, I didn't even recognize who he was, he says. I said, can I help you? Then he said he was in a relationship with someone for years and they took everything from him and he wanted a fresh start. Henry let him in. A week later, Jameson came after him with a broken leg of a coffee table. So it seems as though as we get to the end of this case, you know, when he gets to Alex, Alex Miller, the person we started this case out with and we'll end with. Yeah. By the time he got to 2017, he'd been doing this so long and he was just getting aggressive way quicker. He wasn't playing the long game anymore. As right. soon as you let him in, it seemed like within weeks he was he was showing violent tendencies. He was very bold and brash about the fact that this was now his home. Right. And uh, there was no that there wasn't that sweet kind of honeymoon stage right, when he first right. moved in that there was early on. It well, was just straight just, to just like psychopath. Well, he probably just gave up on that, Lauren, because he realized that no one was just going to see it his way, the right way. Yeah. You know, I think these honeymoon honeymoon stages were like, I'll give this person an opportunity to go along with everything I want. Yeah. And if they can't go along with everything I want, then I'll get then Which I'll Which is going to be impossible. Exactly. It's yeah. I mean, any relationship is about it's about cooperation, right? It's about accommodation. Yeah. Uh but I think later on he was just like fuck this. I know these people aren't as smart as me. They don't know as well as I do. They don't they're mm -hmm. not going to do things the right way. So fuck them. I'm going to I'm going to show them who's boss right away. And I think yeah. that's just his fucking narcissistic tendencies. And look how much he's gotten away with. Like mm -hmm. you know with every other type of criminal, they get more and more brazen, more and more bold. Yeah. And that's what he's yeah. doing here. That's what he's yeah. doing. And this thing's all about to come to a head. This thing has mm -hmm. a dramatic conclusion. Um, so after, uh, you know, he moves in with Henry, uh, this, this, uh, you know, this guy living in, uh, South Philly, Neville Henry, and goes after him with the leg of a coffee table within a, a week. Um, Jameson would then abandon that house and later sue Henry trying to recoup his rent. Um, then two and a half months after that was when he changed his name to Jed Creek and moved into Alex Miller's apartment. The girl that we started this case with. And yep. by, the time, by the time he had arrived at Alex Miller's home in March of 2017, the only loved ones in his life left were, the, were his pets, Zachary and Abigail, the dog and cat, whom mm -hmm. he called his, quote, children. And at this point, he'd gotten a name for himself. Uh, the Jameson Bachman name was now, like, it yeah, was now well-known. And so that's why he, he decides to change it to this Jed Creek character, because there's actually already articles and things written about him online. That's what uh, Alex's mom ultimately finds when she types in uh, and tries to dig him up. Mm -hmm. And so a few days after Alex and her mother, Susan, discovered his true identity online, Susan Miller, um, Alex's mother, let herself into the apartment unannounced. And Jameson came roaring out at her, quote, what are you doing in my home? This is my daughter's home, said uh, my daughter's home, Jameson. And at that point, you know, this is the first time he's been called Jameson. Yeah. In this situation, she knows she he now knows that she knows his background. Right. And his she says his face went pale. It was the first time either of the Millers had acknowledged they knew his true name. Um, mm. Jameson had brushed off Alex's demands to leave with a mantra, quote, I'll see you in court. And so Alex just devises a new plan. She just, she realizes it's going to be hard to get him out legally, so she's going to have to flush him out by making him uncomfortable. You know, there's certain uh, like 
parasites, insects that if you uh, was like something, if it certain certain things you bur they burrow into your skin, you dump some alcohol and they'll burrow their way out because they're just miserable. Yeah, that's what they it's tried like to that. do. Yeah, so they're trying yeah. to trying to burn smoke them out, if you will. Like right, bees, right. You, can, you can smoke them out. Yeah, um, make it miserable for him to be there. That would be that would be my next yep. step as well. Yeah. Yep. So by May first, she devised a plan. So this has been a few months now. She brought him in in, in March. Um, and she now realizes how hard it's going to be get him, to get him out. She reads these articles about the former situations that, uh, you know, he'd been in with roommates and things. And so she devises a plan on May 1st to have a large party in her apartment. She invites a dozen friends, her mother as well as at the party. And they describe the party on Facebook as, quote, a send off for the for the serial squatter, Jameson Bachman. And this was meant to reclaim the space uh, that was hers and, and let him know that he was not welcome. Right. And um, she knew that he started his online tutoring sessions uh, in the evening, uh, like around 7 p.m. So that's when she started the party. And she did all the things that he hated. Uh, he hated loud music, especially rap. He hated yeah. <laughs> drinking and smoking. So everybody in there was was obviously in, partaking in drinks. And they were actually blowing cigarette smoke under the bedroom door <laughs> into his room. Nice. Um, she also uh, went online and found photos of Melissa Frost, his former roommate that he had made life a living hell for. And she printed and taped up photos of Melissa, Melissa Frost uh, in the bathroom above, uh, uh, above candles so that Bach Bachman could see them. And quote, she said, I wanted him to know uh, I knew his past and to ha have his face to the people he harmed, have put mm. a face to the people that he harmed. Yeah. Damn, so this was bold. He turns to his number one weapon, the kitty litter. At around eleven o'clock, Bachman emerged with a box of cat litter and dumped it into the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird, like, first freaking defense. Like, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't get this guy, man, with the kitty litter. Jesus, yep. how much kit litter, kitty litter does he buy? He must buy this shit in bulk. If he wasn't buying so much damn kitty litter, maybe you could just pay your rent and you can just For live real. a happy life. Fucking For asshole. Real. Yeah. Oh, he then stormed out of the apartment with a backpack slung over his shoulder. Um, with his dog slinking behind him. So the, uh, you know, the party raved on and uh, her friend took a drill to Jameson's bedroom door and removed the knob to where there was now just a hole looking into his bedroom nice. and nothing securing it. Now, as the party wound down, friends uh, begged her to stay with them for the night, knowing that, you know, if he returned, things could get ugly. But Alex refused. She went to bed or went to bed with her door open and before uh, before dawn the next morning, she heard Bachman rise unusually early and leave the house. And moments later, she heard the door open again. At this point, she was in the, I believe she was in the bathroom. Yeah. And he barreled down the hallway and slammed the bathroom door open, pushed her against the wall with his hand on her throat. But when she screamed, he retreated. He went back to his bedroom, at which point she was enraged. You know, she's like, just like been absolutely assaulted in her own bathroom. Absolutely. And so she follows him to the bedroom, at which point uh, he is, he's sitting on his, you know, comforters on the, on the ground or whatever, chopping up cat food with his little knife. Right. And standing in the doorway, she shouted, who the fuck do you think you are? He then sat up on his heap of quilts, dicing the cat food with his serrated knife and was coming back at her, jumped up from being the seated position. Now he's got this knife in his hand. And he leaned against the door to shut it, but her leg was between, you know, the door jam and the wall. And he kept, according to her, slamming her leg in the doorway like 10 times, she said. And ultimately he said, you've made a grave mistake, jabbing the knife into her leg, slicing her thigh. Mm. 
And of course, she then calls the police. And that morning, two police officers arrive. And according to the report, they found Jameson quite polite, uh, cooperative, and apologetic. But when they saw the cuts on uh, uh, Alex's legs and also yeah. the marks on her throat, they would arrest Jameson. This is the yep. best thing that could have happened to her, really. She ultimately was, it was super, you know, superficial wounds. Yeah. Um, obviously, she was assaulted, but, but now she had this evidence. is her chance. Yeah, this is her chance to finally get him out for good. He finally yep. fucked up and assaulted her. Yep. And so Jameson was charged with aggravated assault and other felonies and sent to jail. And Alex obtained a protection order while he was in jail. Um, inside his room, she was, she was basically told, like, okay, you can now officially uh, evict him. Like, he's assaulted you. And, like, there's no waiting anymore. You can just... He's not allowed back into the apartment anymore once she got that eviction notice. And, uh, right. Because coupled with the restraining order, the judge granted an immediate eviction. So she's now going into his room and clearing up, gathering all of his shit to bring it to him. And her and her mother decide it's probably a good idea for them to give him back his belongings in front of the jail. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, there's less likely for him to try and do anything crazy. So exactly. inside his room, they found hundreds of pages of court filings against previous roommates. And in the back of his closet, she came across a blue box, which contained a cleaning kit for a 300 uh, for a 380 caliber pistol and a box of bullets. But the gun was nowhere to be found. They ultimately turned the uh, apartment upside down looking for the gun. They cleaned out cabinets, peered into the air conditioning vents, rented a metal detector and even scoured the lawn. But the gun was nowhere to be found. Mm. So. Um, uh, yeah, so Jameson ultimately gets bailed out almost immediately by his older brother. Um, his older brother, Harry decides to bail him out and he, uh, starts living with Harry and his wife, Carolyn. They took him into their home in Elkins park only, only to learn what living with him was like, you know, that didn't last long. Right. And Harry was not too keen on that experience. And so when he bailed him out the second time, um, the Millers arranged to meet him, uh, outside of the local jail to bring him his belongings. Right. They had everything except one major thing, the dog, oh, his, no. his collie. They had basically donated it or basically one, let one of Alex's friends adopt yeah. this dog. Yeah. One of Alex's friends adopted the dog. Yeah. yeah. Took the dog in feeling bad for it. And so that morning, the morning of the exchange in front of the police station, Jameson stood outside of the station, filming the Millers with his phone and narrating their arrival. And as police observers hovered nearby, they handed him the Rubbermaid bins and Abigail the cat. But Jameson was enraged when they declined to give back Zachary the dog. They had sent him mm -hmm. to live with a woman in the suburbs, and the judge had permitted her to keep him. So this was, uh, you know, allowed by the judge, the dog situation. And yeah. so as the Millers left the station, Jameson pulled up alongside them in a rented car and rolled down his window and said, you're dead, bitch, before speeding off. Hmm. She then, at the behest of her mother, went stormed back into the police station and told them what he had just said, violating his protection order. And a few weeks later, he was rearrested and put in prison again, at which point he grew frantic about his cat, which had been left behind in the Airbnb that he was renting after his arrest. So he then relies on his old brother, his older brother, Harry, which whom he resents and has held up all this, this hatred for years because the family chooses him over uh jameson but uh right. it was his only option i mean he, he burned every other bridge in his life and so um concerned about getting bailed out early so he could get his cat back uh he calls harry but it had been fostered out to someone by an animal shelter while he was in jail because harry didn't get to bailing him out quickly enough and of course he held this against harry 
course. So on October 28th, Harry bailed him out a second time and Jameson asked to stay at Harry's house in Elkins Park, but Harry refused. Smart. Harry's, Harry's wife, Carolyn, was out of town to see their newborn grandchild uh, with plans to have Harry meet her the following week. And she feared that, you know, something bad might happen if Jameson made an appearance at the house and she asked Harry to stay elsewhere. Like, don't go back to the home. We're worried that Jameson's going to go there and be waiting for you. Um, and shortly before seven o'clock on the evening of November 3rd, Harry did, in fact, against his wife's wishes, stop at the home on his way out of town. So he was going to head, you know, to out of state to be with his wife and see his grandchild. But he wanted to make a quick stop at the house, probably to grab something. Mm -hmm. And as he pulled up in Caroline's Red Ford Escape, he saw an unwelcome sight confront him. He texted his wife, quote, guess who just showed up as I drove in? He texted his wife and then he, he responded immediately. No, don't guess. It was Jameson. Mm. Harry had been scheduled to arrive in the up in upstate New York later that night, but he never made it. And so, of course, his wife becomes concerned, especially after that text. And she calls the police to do a welfare check on their home. And when the police went to canvas the home at first, they saw the red escape was gone and assumed that he had left. But when they returned later that day, they noticed a trail of blood leading from the sidewalk to the front door. And when they entered the home, they found a bloody disaster. They followed the bloody drag marks, quote unquote, to the basement door, which had been blocked by a box. And when they opened the door, they saw on the stairway, the body of Harry Bachman, which had mm. been basically bludgeoned to death with a blunt object. It was, it was no knife or gun used. It was uh, blunt force trauma. Did they find the weapon? Because no, I, I, I think couldn't. So. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't fi find I that either. I don't know, I know if know he just you... beat him to death with his fists or if there was, you know, some sort of object used. Yeah. I doubt that. He, he I mean, the Jameson was 60 now and his brother we mentioned earlier was four years older. So, was, you know, they're they're not young guys anymore. I mean, who knows what kind of physical shape his older brother was in. Right. Um, but uh, soon police discovered the Red Ford escape in the parking lot of a hotel up the road. And this, what led them actually there was something so stupid. Jameson actually took his brother's credit card, went up the road and used it at a motel. And yep. he left his brother's phone on in the home where he'd murdered him and yep. the police are there investigating the scene and they get a notification pop up on uh harry's phone that says that oh you uh, you've been charged for your stay at the whatever hotel <laughs> the credit card was linked to his phone this is nice. modern day issues when you kill people like the kind of shit that can happen yep um and so they're like oh i wonder if he's staying at that hotel or the you know harry who's now dead's credit card was just used right and it ain't sure harry enough, yeah. So they go to the, the hotel, they talk to the front desk and they say, you know, yeah, the guy that matches this, this guy matches your guys' description and he's staying in room one hotel one oh two. And so they get a SWAT team at around ten thirty PM to break down the door and what happens next is unclear. The police originally reported that Bachman submitted without incident, but an affidavit filed a few weeks later claimed that he rushed at the SWAT team swimming a lime swinging a lime green campfire axe at them in a figure X pattern. And actually the police interviewed in that two-part Netflix show said that one of the police had been struck in the face with it, right? Yes, and one was struck in the arm. Yeah, and you see the... Uh, they should have shot and killed this motherfucker. Fuck, I mean, that's what I'm... I'm like, man, that's amazing that he didn't get killed, right? Like, Bro, I made Swiss cheese out of this bitch, man. He comes swinging an it, axe. It was probably because it was a SWAT team, and like they had this... I'm imagining they, they had a full gear, like probably yeah. the shields and the helmets I see and what you're saying. It didn't and hurt if them. it wasn't a gun so. he was coming at him with, yeah. But still, so they, he, he took a beating because the mug shot following his arrest for this uh, showed him quite beaten up. 
you know, <laughs> bloodied and black eyed and everything else. So he right, took a beating right. for that. Um, and his preliminary hearing was set for the morning of December 11th, but he'd never make it. A few days after his arrest, he hung himself in his cell in Montgomery County Prison. And that piece of shit. You know, the deaths of the Bachman brothers left Alex Miller, the woman who he'd he had his latest renter feud with, wrecked with guilt. She said, quote, I felt responsible for all of it. But along with the grief came relief. The trial that she was had upcoming was canceled and she would no longer have to worry about facing him in court or in the streets because he had just threatened her life in front of a jail, you know, uh, after she had given his dog away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you imagine I could see how she would feel bad because she was kind of at the center point of this whole thing. You know, her getting him arrested, which of course, you know, it was justified him getting arrested for what he had done to her. Right. But led to his brother bailing him out, which led to his brother needing to bail him out again. And then that whole him blaming his brother for not getting him bailed out quick enough and leading to his animal being given away and yada, yada. Right. Ultimately, I mean, remember, um, wasn't uh, John DuPont going to kill his, his brother at some point or no that was uh no 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 that was robert durst that was Durst. Remember he had gone to his yeah. brother's home to kill him this is so much reminded me of that right he blamed yep. his the success of his brothers so much for his the way his life had gone yep. and the only way to make it right was to end them and it's the only way to make it durst even. was unsuccessful yeah thankfully durst was unsuccessful yeah uh, in that attempt but uh yeah yeah so many but, similarities seriously two brats throwing a temper tantrum for their whole life mm-hmm Wow. Crazy yeah. case. Crazy case. Action packed. I mean, this guy, be careful who you let into your home. Absolutely. Be careful who you let put mail, put uh, your address on their mail. Yeah, that's right. That's right, guys. So. If they know your address and they, they're getting mail sent there, it's like, what's to stop somebody from just putting your address? So like, like for instance, what if I wanted to put your address on a, on a subscription for a magazine, right? And I started getting magazines sent to your house with my name on them. And then I could just like live in there theoretically. Pretty sure we've already like had that happen multiple times throughout the course of this podcast. We've had shit sent to each other with the different names and addresses on it and shit. Right. It, it's. I mean, I'm saying it's not hard to do. Right. Yeah. But right, right. that evidence. Could, so technically, he could once he starts conversations with these people and finds the address, he could already be having this mail in the works. There. So you know, within being there for a couple of days while he's still being yeah. cordial in the honeymoon stage. He's he's got yep. the mail coming already, and then you're fucked. Whether he's you know, like yep. we said, whether he's filled out that lease paper or not, which he never did fill out lease paper, at least not for Alex. No. Um, yeah, he never did fill out any of that information because obviously it would have been all false. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you're facing real legal trouble, right? He knows the yep. law. He knows what's yep. up. And he didn't need it. Yeah, he didn't need it. Once she ca- like nope. we mentioned, cashed that check with his name on her address. Yep, it was over, baby. He didn't need it, but you know what? He, yep. You know what you do need. Some oh my guy. You, you know, one thing that is okay to put your address on and have things sent to is oh my guy. <laughs> it's oh my guy, so, dude. Yeah. yeah. You actually want oh my guy to have your address, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because oh my guy. How else are you going to get that good stuff? That's right. That's right. How else are you going to get access to an innovative, all natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company that specializes in paraben and aluminum free products? Tell me that, huh? Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben- and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, including our very own scent, True Crime Pine, made just for the true crime guys, if you guys don't know where to start. But there's also vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, pear, sweet pea, sailor, 
barbershop and more guys all the time. Um, and there's also beard oils and essential oils in these scents as well. And because you're true crime guys, listeners, you can use the code creeper for 15% off your order. That's C R E E P E R for 15% off your order. And you can order at shop underscore. Oh my Gaia on Instagram or Oh my That's O H M Y G A I A.com. Guys, you won't regret it. Again, use code word creeper for 15% off. Do it. And also right. go check out Tonic CBD. Their website is tonicvibes.com. Their farm to bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every high quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded and consistent wellness solution for your body. They have a bunch of different blends uh, depending on your needs. Chill Tonic's been one of my favorite for anxiety. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect. But it's also really cool how they use black seed oil in a lot of their blends. Black seed oil, if you don't know, is an antioxidant powerhouse, and it's great for your immune system and just really scratches the surface of what this superfood can do. So it's really cool to see how they combine it with CBD like this. Um, I love how easy also it is to verify the quality of Tonic's products. They have a microchip uh, thing in the product uh, packaging, um, and you just tap your phone on the top of their packaging, and it links your phone to third-party lab reports, product information, details about their farm, and even helpful blog posts to uh, provide you with some CBD education. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for the people and good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper for 20% off your order. Tonicvibes.com, code creeper. Right. And guys, there's links to both of these sponsors right below the description of this episode. That's right. Can't live without them. We're basically working for product. That's right. Good stuff. Products (laughs) we believe in, though. Products we believe in, we use. My son, he just turned 13. He's starting to stink now. Got him a fresh jar of Oh My Gaia. He's good to go. Now he's hooked. Shout out to my boy Joe, who finally went over to Oh My Gaia, and he's constantly telling everyone to smell his pits. You know what that is? That's that's true crime pine. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, right on. He's like, that's Lauren. He's like, use code creeper. He's like straight up just advertising us. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, perfect. Yeah. We love that true crime pine. Like we say, that's a great unisex scent, man. It's a great one to start with. You know what else is unisex? Our Patreon page. Yeah, of course. It's for everybody. Yep. Everybody. We don't care what kind of parts you got down there. Come nope. listen. That's right. That's, that should really be a t-shirt. Yeah. We don't care about your parts. <laughs> we we care, just care about your ears. We don't care what parts you got. Listen. <laughs> right on, guys. Patreon.com. Um, at the end of every episode, you know, we, we uh, update you guys with a TCG outro about when all of our shows come out. But patreon.com slash true crime guys, and you can get access to everything that we create here on True Crime Guys Network. Um, for just $2 a month, you get access to all of the vault episodes of True Crime Guys. You may be looking uh, through the episodes and you notice, hey, where's the first 50 episodes? Well, they're in the vault. Um, and they are available on Patreon for just $2 a month. You can get access to those first 50 episodes of True Crime Guys, as well as every Patreon exclusive. Every week that we're off, every single month, we do a Patreon exclusive that's just on Patreon, and you'll get access to all 60-something of those episodes, as well as the 50, first 50 True Crime Guys vault episodes now for the five dollar tier you get access to everything we open it all up for just three more dollars a month you get access to just the banter with me and lauren every friday which we're about to record after the show with video as well uh you get access to lauren's five minute murder every saturday as well for with video 
um, Strange Shorts with myself and Andy on the Sandu platform every single Monday, as well as Sandu Stories, um, which is our our audio, our professional audio quality show where we do scripted audio, voice actors, sound effects, scenes, and all that jazz. And guys, again, that's patreon.com slash guys. And for just five bucks a month, and you can get yearly subscriptions now. So you can pay up front $54 a year, save a little bit. I think you save 10%. So it's a great deal, guys. It's cheaper than uh, cheaper than a gallon of gas, or it might not be now. I think gas is dropping a little bit now, but uh, pretty good. Yeah, it's still floating around five bucks here in Vegas. Oh, is it? Okay. We're yeah. down below $4 here in the in the South. Oh, now. my gosh. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah we're, we're chilling. But right. it's still not great. It ain't going to matter soon. I'm taking delivery on my Tesla coming up pretty soon in about a month. There you go. Who needs so it? I'm going to fucking fly by those stupid gas stations. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> Spent too much of my life in those things. All right. Seriously. All right. All right, man. Anything else? Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening and sharing the show and everything that you do. We'll see you over on Patreon as well for Just the Banter, which Michael said we're just about to record right now. So, yeah, yep. if you haven't joined over there, you know where to find us. That's and right, Have guys. a great week. We'll see you next week. Keep dreaming. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder. Get murder. Get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. From the minds of true crime guys, come. TCG Weekly enjoyed this episode please feel free to check out all the other programs on the tcg network every wednesday a new episode of true crime guys proper strange and unexplained on mondays and full house fantasy football on fridays to start your weekend if those aren't enough head on over to our patreon account where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content including older episodes and other patreon exclusives like strange shorts sandu stories higher thoughts and the five minute murder show but until next time guys keep creeping how do you you shut this thing off over